With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back to the Anonymous Eagle podcast. It'll be our second episode today. My name is Patrick Leary. I am here with my co-host, Sam Newberry. Sam, how was your Halloween? What did you dress up as? Uh, so I was I was an artist, and by that I mean my costume or part of my original costume idea didn't get delivered by Amazon because okay. they notoriously hate our building. And so I sprinted over to the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design art supply store, grabbed a palette, some paint, and a paintbrush, and then called myself an artist. So were you were you were you intending to be an artist? Was that no, like that was not the intention. Okay. Could you mind me asking what you intended to be? Uh, well, I was going to be Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Oh, wow. That is... Which both, would... of, both of these are, like, slightly dark costumes, but I like it. It's good. <laughs> I guess it's for Halloween, so it's not bad. I feel like I feel like Amazon is a racket on Halloween because you order things that you're not going to use at any other time, and if they don't come in the mail on time for you to use them, it, like, Amazon gets free $20 just off of that. I feel like that's bad. Yeah. Um, you know... It is what it is, and I don't want to say anything about the eventual Earth overlords that are Amazon. Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. We don't want to. We don't want to get canceled. Lis- they're listening this to episode me right two. Now. They, could, they could swoop in and uh, and shut us down. I suppose. I was uh, Todd from the uh, Netflix TV show BoJack Horseman. He's uh, my spirit animal, as as it will. Um, he's a he's a fantastic human being and character. Um, but enough about that. Um, let's get into the show. Um, today we're going to talk about um, the roster, player by player. Um, and then um, at the end, we're going to kind of wrap it up, uh, give some thoughts about it as a whole, um, and then uh, do some rapid fire about um, sort of uh, awards, so to speak, and um, our predictions um, for various individual achievements for the season. Um, so before we get into sort of a player-by-player breakdown, I guess um, to tie it to last week's episode, uh, we talked about uh, just the team's uh, sensational uh, depth um, overcoming um, the early Wojo year issues of um, just not having enough bodies um, or a complete enough roster. And um, in my opinion, um, I started at Marquette um, in Buzz Williams' third to last year. So three years of Buzz, four years of Wojo, and now heading into the eighth year that I've been acutely aware of the program, I don't think I've ever uh, seen them have this deep of a roster. I mean, I I don't really know what to add on top of that, but I mean, it's. I don't think you can really argue with that, can you? I don't think you can argue that. Um, I guess it's yet to see if the the depth will equal success, like some oh, of the sure. some, some of the short benches that or uh, Buzz played, for example, in the Elite Eight run year, yeah, uh, in 2012-2013. I mean, rolling out that starting five of, uh, you know, Lockett and Vander Blue and Junior Cadogan. Um, Juan Anderson, uh, you know, just Juan like, Anderson is so excited to be included in that in that group <laughs> that you just laid out, but I, but like, th- there's definitely been talented rosters in my time at Marquette, sure. but um, this is probably the, yes the deepest roster we've ever seen. Yeah, and like I mean, I know even before um, we either of us were Marquette students, I know that there's sort of a a legendary uh, Marquette team um, that was playing uh, 6'5", Lazar Hayward at center um, for a majority of the time. So, I mean, just even something as weird as that, I mean, I don't think you're going to see any sort of um, roster quirks like that with this team at all this year. Um, and I also think that they're capable of playing like a bunch of different types of lineups. I mean, they could play they could play a small ball lineup and they can play a, a, a you know huge height lineup and not probably lose a ton of um, you know uh, overall uh, skill and effectiveness with either kind of lineup. I mean, it's a really it's a really interesting roster from that perspective. Yeah, I'd be really intrigued um, and, and as we get into talking maybe more about the forwards. Uh, I'm really intrigued to see how. Sam and Joey Hauser will play on the floor at the same mm-hmm. time together. That that's really interesting to me because well, 
Yeah, not to cut you off, but I think how they play um, individually is interesting too because I think you could argue that um, Sam has been playing the wrong position his entire Marquette career and he's probably more of a three than a four. Um, and Joey Hauser, I mean, I think there's like a wide range of positions that he could play. But I agree. I think that um, their interaction will be really interesting. But, I mean, who, who knows how they'll even look once they're on the court together. True, true. Might as well dive right in. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, uh, so we're going to start uh, with the backcourt. Um, and I guess the real story to talk about there before we sort of dive into who actually is playing for the first couple months uh, is to talk about Greg Elliott. Um, Greg Elliott... Um, Weird injury, I guess. It's it's the one that's plagued him. Um, it's kind of the one that he had to wear, like the I don't know if it was a cast necessarily, but a brace um, for um, all of last season um, on that thumb area. There's some dubious. Um, there's some doubt around how the injury was actually reported um, and whether it happened the way it happened or it was just um, it just didn't get right and got worse. Um, after uh, the course of the offseason. Um, but Greg is out until at least December. Um, and if it was not an, longer. Yeah. yeah, if not longer. It was an 8 to 12 week window and it happened about three weeks ago. Yeah, probably. something like that. Um, so he's out for a majority of the non-conference season. Um, and I guess the question I pose to you, Sam, is do you think that given what we just said about the roster depth, um, that if he's not going to be 100%, he should even come back at all? Uh, I'm in the camp that if you really need... Not that I'm saying that Greg Elliott's not a good basketball player. I love Greg Elliott. I think he's great for this team. But if you need to bring him back quick after an injury like that, that means the team's struggling. Sure. Um, And so... I think that it would be the smarter move to probably just redshirt him. You can always pull that redshirt, um, you know, as soon as you need him. So look at, say, uh, what's the kid from Creighton last year? The There was a, a, a center that when uh, the Creighton starting center went down. With Martin the, Crampage, when, yeah, he when, went, when he went out? Yeah, when he went down, they pulled some kid's sure. redshirt, and he yeah. ended up dominating. Yeah, I mean, it's not a it's not an unheard of thing to do. Yeah. Um I guess where I fall on the argument is um, that I don't think if he's not going to have an effective contribution, it's not worth uh, burning a year of eligibility for half a season um, if it's not going to benefit him um, in the long term as far as his development goes. Um, It would be awesome to be able to redshirt a player like Greg and to keep him around and let him mature because I think his body type is one that's very, um, I'm a 19 year old basketball player. He's just like all arms and legs. And obviously, you know, he's growing into it. I'm sure. And I'm sure uh, the strength coach, Todd Smith has him working, uh, like crazy. Um, as he always does with all the folks that uh, redshirt or need to get big. Um, but I just think, um, if you don't, if you don't think he's going to have a legitimate role and impact um, and he's injured in any serious way, I just don't think you should um, bring him back. But I, I personally thought this was going to be a big year for Greg Elliott. Um, and so I would personally like to see him come back um, if the circumstances make sense for him to come back. Sure. And that's I, where I think I'd put it. I have a really weird comparison of Greg to Chris Dunn. Where okay. It, it, he looks like Chris Dunn, like physically. Yeah, and so I think that, that you know, I don't want to risk longer-term injuries mm-hmm. or ruin any sort of balance the team has, um, and that's kind of why I want the red shirt to happen. Yeah. Um, plus, I, having a kid of his character around the program longer and a kid of his work ethic around the program longer is right. good. So. Um, and he's definitely, I think... One of those, um, you know, he's right in the sweet spot of like a great, effective college basketball contributor, but one that probably has no chance of going to the NBA in any sort of early. There'd have to be a massive Chris Dunn esque jump. Yeah. And so if you can keep that guy around for five years in the program, I mean, that's a huge benefit. Um, So um, I, right now, even if he does come back, which I think that they're probably. 
I haven't seen anything. He, I mean, he's been wearing a cast. Yeah. But I haven't seen anything to indicate that he's actually going to redshirt, um, even though he, um, you know, it might be a good idea for him to. At this point, I'd expect him to come back um, right around the start of conference play, um, but I don't have a ton of expectations for him just because I think part of the the math built into his jump uh, that a lot of people around the team are projecting um, was the health of his hand. And if his hand is going to be sort of 75-ish percent again this season, I don't think his shooting's going to improve as much as it possibly could have. And I think um, his effectiveness as a point guard will be hampered as well. So I don't have a lot of expectations for him now, which is kind of a bummer because yeah. I really wanted him to do well. All right, um, Marcus Howard um, was projected uh, on the first team All Big East in the preseason earlier this week. Um, I don't think any person in their right mind would disagree with that uh, sentiment, especially given how much the angry Big East DePaul lost. fans, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, angry DePaul fans. But are, that's why I have them they're DePaul blocked. fans, though, so that's their fault. That's why I have them blocked on Twitter. Yeah, there you go. That's good. That's smart. I like that yeah. a lot. Um, so, um, what do you think? Um, Marcus Howard probably... I, where do you put him in sort of the player of the year conversation uh, preseason for the Big East? I mean, Shamori Pons won the right. preseason player of the year. I think that that's... Uh, there's no argument that I have for that. Um, obviously, you could have the conversation of Marcus Howard could have won that, but then you also yeah. get into, well, Kamar Baldwin could have won that, Jesse Govan could have won that. But there's nobody as good as Shamari Pons in the Big East right now. Um, yeah, I don't think so either. Um, so I think that until somebody comes out and has a year to prove otherwise, he's the Big East Player of the Year. Sure. Marcus might be that person, and you know he might go unconscious from three like he did his freshman year and mm-hmm. make forty nine percent of them. And you know, shooting if he's shooting seven or eight threes a game, he's, that's pretty ridiculous. He's going to be shooting seven or eight threes a game. I don't think that's any question. Um, do you think that Marcus Howard has the best chance of someone not named Shamori Pons to win the Big East Player of the Year? Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty reasonable assumption. I, I think so too. And I just think it's a matter of like, um, I think the person that you would probably devil's advocate is Kamar Baldwin from Butler. Um, because I don't think it's fair to assume that any particular player from Villanova um, is going to you know stand out and be a star. I don't think that the way that's the way that team is built, um, and so you'd have to go to an individual on a team that's sort of projected in the mid to top half of the conference. And I think Kamar Baldwin's probably that, um, but I just think Marcus Howard's um, uh, you know ceiling um, is the highest of any of those other candidates. Um, but I agree with you. I think Pons, you have to. Yeah, going into this season, especially some of the stuff that guy did later in the in the second half of conference play, especially against Marquette, um, you have to pick him. Yeah, uh, I mean, I would say that if I had to pick one person not named Marcus Howard or Shamori Pons, I'd actually pick Jesse Govan, but that's because okay. he might actually physically eat a human being okay, in sure. conference play this year. Um, yeah. I like Jesse Govan's game a lot, and uh, so I think he would probably have the best chance. Otherwise, I think that Kamar Baldwin. Um, is very obviously a very good player and a very valuable player, but I'm not sure that he's necessarily like a number one lead guard score buckets like Pons and Howard can. Um, he's much more of a, a, a double threat of will score points, but also is a really probably one of the best perimeter defenders in the Big East um, and is a really good facilitator for the game too. Sure. Um, Marcus's uh, shooting percentage... Um, he had the best shooting percentage from three-pointers um, in college basketball his freshman year. Um, it was 54%, and he dipped down. Um, s- substantial dip to 40% um, last year, but again, that was a factor of um, him being the primary, um, well, Andrew Rousey would probably argue, but the primary scoring option, but him being a, a known threat yeah. um, and a volume, uh, much more of a volume shooter than he was as a freshman. Um, where do you think... Um, that number, um, if you had to pinpoint it, where do you think that number um, ends up? I'm currently of the mind that I think it'll be end up end up somewhere in the middle of where it's been in the first two years. Yeah, probably. I'm thinking it's probably gonna be like 45, 46 percent. Yeah, I and and which is ridiculous, right? But. And this is a good transition. Um, before I before we make the transition, I guess I'll just say that Marcus Howard is probably the most hyped Marquette player 
in definitely Ellenson is you get to have an argument for Ellenson but um, I think legitimate like proven hype um, going into a season I don't remember the last time Marquette had a player like this no um, because Jay Crowder when he was you know getting all the recognition it was a postseason award and then he went to the NBA after graduating so yeah. um, it's uh, having a player like that is a big game changer and I think um, important for a roster that is trying to make a leap into you know being a consistent sort of hanging around the top 25 kind of team like they are yeah um, so my transition here is going to be I think Marcus's shooting percentage um, will be buoyed by the fact that he is playing off the ball less and has um, a more of a, a passer of a point guard um, with him, and that's Joseph Chartuni. So Joseph Chartuni transfers in uh, from Fordham. Um, he um, is sort of the kind of player um, that Wojo hasn't had um, ever um, in um, in the system. Uh, he's you know a a long uh, point guard that um, instead of uh, sort of being score first, I. When I think about point guards for Wojo, I kind of think of, you know, Carlino and Andrew Rousey are probably the two that jump out the most as like the ones that made um, the biggest impression um, when they were at Marquette in, under in his tenure. And Joseph Chartuni looks like a completely different kind of player. I think the best comparison for Chartuni is probably a fully realized Tracy Carter. Sure, and but probably um, even like longer athletically, right? Yeah, I mean, and you know, and t- taller, more yeah. more athletic, or as least at least yeah. as athletic, um, you know. So he is longer and he mm. is taller, um, which is nice. But I think that if you have the, that's probably the type of comparison. He's the fully realized Tracy Carter of uh, being a facilitator, right. being able to attack the basket and to hit a shot, but not being needed to do that every possession. Um, and then being a really tough, in-your-face perimeter defender. Well, when he came into the program, um, Marquette traditionally, um, with under Wojo, since the, the so much of the off-season discussion has centered around sort of filling out the roster with grad transfers every year. And Chartuni was the first time I can remember when a um, sort of the Marquette Twitter speculation of here are the guys that are on the list of grad transfers that would fit the best in Marquette's program. That Marquette actually went and got the guy that would fit the best. Um, and I, I think the idea is that he has a very um, proven track record of high assist and um, uh, statistically good defense. Um, now, I haven't you know watched a lot of him play, um, but... I think um, the steals rate is what jumps out to you. It was best in the country um, in 2017. It was second best in the country in 2018. And I just think if you get uh, you know six three two oh five point guard with long arms that can defend and distribute um, and is a scorer second, that's the kind of player that I think fits the best next to Marcus Howard which lets Marcus, um, for at least maybe 25 minutes a game, um, sort of be the off-the-ball, um, you know, pure scorer, um, and um, probably most importantly enhances um, Mar- Marquette's perimeter defense, where you go from having two tiny guys that are both scorers, like they did last year, um, to one tiny guy who's a scorer, and then one guy who's bigger, who can defend, uh, uh, assist, and... Um, and take the ball away. So, um, for me, it's probably um, the most important upgrade that Marquette made in the offseason um, because it just sets them up better um, uh, from a guard standpoint. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And um, transitioning into talking about Sakari Anum a little bit sure. as, you know, another guard slash three, you know, sure. wing, wing player. The, the combo of... Chartuni and Sakarianum should be able to on any given night lock up the two best scorers. Yeah, uh, or not, maybe not entirely shut down, but at least harass and annoy and take the the two best scorers of each team, or at least the two best 
parameter players of each team off their game. Sure. Um, and then you know you look at some of the other players that would be backing them up, like Jamal Kane. Um, probably he's going to see some time. Yeah, off. I think that's an interesting yeah. um, question. Um, Sakar Anim um, is a player that has played a lot of three, um, just given the way that the roster has lined up in years past. Um, and um, it, last year, obviously, he had a huge role um, and was starting at that sort of third position um, in the rotation. Um, I think he'll probably play a lot more two um yeah, two-ish um, than we've seen um, because uh, it, just the way that the roster sort of shifts, um, he is a, um, a a stronger player but a smaller player um, that I think probably is your go-to defender um, for sort of the uh, opposing team's best wing. Yeah. Um, whereas Chartuni probably would be more of a, you know, you slide onto a point guard yeah. type player. But I'm sure they could both do it. Um, and th- I think Sakar, um, his his scoring at times last season was very uh, surprisingly fantastic. Um, I remember him having 26 points one game and, like, I'd always thought about him as sort of, and this is all he had kind of showed before that, was sort of a, a defense-first um, kind of player. Um, but he showed a lot of offensive upside that I'm really encouraged by. Um, anything you want to Yeah, I mean, just in general, um, I think you're still going to see him run out there as a starting three, air yeah. quotes, three. Yeah. But um, it'll be his job to lock up sort of the, the, those players that are just a bit too tall mm-hmm. for Chartoni or just a bit too athletic for Chartoni. Chartoni, however you say his last sure. name. Um, like, I believe it's Chartoni. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but um, I'll, I'll hear, we'll hear uh, Tuesday. Yeah, uh, that's the a good point. Game. Um, so I think that that's really interesting to me. Um, that, you know, th- th- there's not a-, a plethora of elite wings in the Big East this year, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice. Yeah, it's 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 a lot easier this year. Yeah, there's no though. Trayvon Blewett this year. Um, JP Makura. Yeah, no JP Makura. No, uh, like no Mikhail Bridges. No Marcus Foster. Kind of. Yeah. I know, obviously, he graduated two years ago, but sort of the Creighton type, where they had uh, always had like an athletic driving wing. Um, yeah. Butler's probably the only team that really has. A lot. Your Organson's more of a guard for Butler. Yeah, um, you're right. Miles My, Powell is more of a, a guard for uh, Seton Hall. Seton Hall is, oh god, just briefly tangent. Seton Hall is going to be so much easier to play this year. Yeah. It's I shouldn't amazing. have to tear my hair out after every <laughs> Seton Hall. The 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 four senior tandem that Seton Hall had was the most annoying team to play, and yeah. it's so nice that they're not going to be like that uh, anymore. Um, but anyway. Uh, some I wanted to segue to so those are like your three like guaranteed like we know that those guys are guards and well Sakar's weird in that but yeah yeah, yeah. I, God I, I have to think like the three of them aren't going to always be able to play if the three of them start they're not always going to be able to play so you're going to see most of them in the rotation yes but I guess what I want to pose to you and I know you have a strong theory about this. Um, who else is sort of in that guard rotation for this team? So I'm a big fan of the idea of having Jamal Kane backing up Sakar as sort of the next sure. wing defender slash 2-3 mm-hmm. type of split. Um, obviously, Jamal Kane will never be a 1. No. That's fine. Well, he's um, like 6-7, isn't yeah. he? I mean, that's, that's, I mean, you know, Giannis plays point guard, but, um, you know, Jamal Kane isn't exactly, you know, he doesn't look like a guard. But I think he... Has a perimeter-oriented game, even yeah. though he's six seven. Um, he only weighed 190 pounds last year. I don't have the the roster up to see if he bulked up significantly in the last year. Yeah, I haven't seen anything either. But, but I, I think yeah, yeah, I think he's going to contribute as sort of the 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 next best wing defender, mm-hmm. um, especially with Greg Elliott out. Um, you know, probably playing some time at the two, especially if you want to play a bigger lineup where you're maybe playing both of the Housers together. Sure. Having somebody of his athleticism, where both the Housers, while very good players, aren't elite athletes. Yeah. Um, pure athletes, I should say. Um, I think having somebody of his athleticism um, next to the the two Housers, whatever centers out there, whatever point guards mm-hmm. out there is interesting. And, I mean, I definitely think that the two Housers would be playing 
nominally the forward positions over him. Sure. But um, I really like what he can bring on the perimeter. Um, I mean, we saw Jamal's corner was a real thing. He he was amazing at that corner yeah. three. And that was so... He was a player that for the first like two to three months of the season really struggled to find any sort of role. Um, and he, when he carved out that three-point corner shot, that was so encouraging. Because yeah. it's like, okay, we know that this guy has this one thing as a freshman in the Big East, which is just such a daunting task, especially for a guy that's um, as um, you know thin as him. Um, just to carve that role out was so encouraging. Yeah. But uh, I think that the only other potential person we could see playing um, sort of in that guard role is maybe Brendan Bailey. Um, yeah, I, I don't know a lot about Brendan Bailey's game at this point. He's a lot like Jamal Kane in that... Um, they do seem to be... They appear similar um, body types. Well, Bre- Brendan Bailey was definitely a shooter first mm-hmm. in high school mm-hmm. when he played. Um, and he was definitely kind of a long, lanky, thin... He, he, he does stand at 6'7". Sure. So he's going to nominally, again, be a forward. But um, especially if he hasn't bulked up significantly, mm-hmm. I could see him playing more time as a perimeter defender than um, on the interior. Especially, sure. again, with the two housers um, yeah. and Ed Morrow sort of sucking time away at the four. Right. Um, I could see him playing down as well. Well, let's talk about the two housers uh, now that you bring that up. Uh, sort of transition to the forward position. Um Sam Hauser, I, I really don't think there's a lot you have to say about Sam Hauser. He is just so reliably himself as a player. Just a really efficient shooter. Um, good rebounder for um, him sort of being an undersized four um, for all of these years. Uh, he led the team in rebounding last season. Um, and, um, you know, not a great defender um, in, no. any, in any stretch. I don't think he was good at defending perimeter or... Um, post. He was never. He was, he too was small never for one, and too slow for the other. I say he was never bad as a, a lower post defender. He wasn't anything to write home about. Right. You know, he was never an elite interior defender. He was never an elite wing defender. He's not an elite perimeter no, defender. No, I, I recall yeah. distinctly several times uh, last season where he would. Dead. Um, yeah. They would he, they would try to routinely switch him into a perimeter. The offensive team would try to uh, yeah. routinely switch him into a perimeter defensive role. He's not that. Really I think that's the only, for Marquette. Uh, that's the only knock you really have against him is that he's just not an elite athlete or elite perimeter defender. And I think um, a lot of the conversation around him was sort of how people are sleeping on him as a as a you know a high high quality college basketball player just because of his. Uh, shooting ability and efficiency. Um, I think he got a fair amount of love. It was encouraging to see him be on the second team of all Big East, and I think just the way that Marquette is thought of under Steve Wojciechowski, it would have been a stretch for any sort of media or coaches to, um, you know, say that Marquette's going to have two players um, that'll be in the top five in the conference. I think it's a legitimate possibility, um, and I think that you can make an argument that because he, I mean, he's not great at defense, but because he's not Marcus Howard on defense, that he might be more valuable overall. Um, and he can score. Uh, Marcus Howard can score in any way, but yeah. Sam's got the size to sort of score um, in various defensive looks, whereas Marcus sort of, he can score in various ways, but he has to, um, if the defense is... Marcus Howard isn't posting anybody up anytime No, soon. right, exactly. And, you know, he's got to get around defenders as opposed to going over them or going into them, whereas Sam's a little bit more versatile um, in that way. Um, Joey Hauser, um, you probably maybe know a little bit more about Joey Hauser's game than I do. Um, I had him sort of in the conversation that we were talking about with um, can uh, can forwards come down and play guard uh, like you were asserting Jamal Kane could. Um, I could see a scenario that if um, some of the three you know more traditional guard type players are in foul trouble or need in need of rest, um, that Joey Hauser could kind of play sort of a point forward. Uh, kind of position. I think. I think the question is: Is that too much to ask of him, um, not having played in college basketball ever? I think it is too much right now. Um, mm-hmm. I could see it maybe going forward, where it's a different look. Um, from what I remember from the tape I watched on him, um, he's just not an elite ball handler that mm-hmm. you would need at this level. Um, he's a good ball handler, obviously. I mean, you know, there's every person on. Marquette's team can probably handle a basketball, you know, to a competent degree. That's not what I'm getting at here. But, you know, you're talking about playing up against, you know, who will be harassing him up and down the court. 
Um, I think mm-hmm. his ball handling probably isn't up to snuff. Sure. Yeah, these are, there are these great high school highlight videos of him where he's sort of destroying, um, you know, AAU kind of caliber players. And I'd imagine that even though he shows off great handling ability and, um, you know, super uh, impressive versatility in those videos that, you know, the Big East uh, and uh, the tough non-conference competition that Marquette's going to be facing is of a significantly higher caliber than some of the people in his highlight tapes. Um... Do we want to talk about Ed Morrow next? Do we think we got enough on the house? Anything you want to say about the Housers? I mean, I think the the most underrated part of the two Housers, um, same especially because we've seen it at the college mm-hmm. level, is how easily they make the offense tick. Yeah. Like, because Sam is so versatile and can make a pass or draw two defenders because mm-hmm. he's a good shooter, um, you know, they're they're really the, the major cogs in the machine around which everything else works. And I think Joey's going to be very similar um, he's going to make everybody on the offensive end better, whether he's getting an extra defender's attention, you know, demanding somebody come out and guard him at the three-point line, making people honor the fact that he can drive on you probably better so than Sam can, um, and take it to the rim instead of just being more of a, a spot-up shooter mm-hmm. or um, more of a jump shot player. Uh, sure. I think that those two will be sort of the – the gauge for how well the offense is working is how easily they're clicking. Sure. Um, um, yeah, I think well said. Um, so Ed Morrow, um, Ed Morrow is he, he and Chartuni, um, I think both have this element of legitimate college veteran um, that they're bringing to um, this, uh, this this team this year. Um, whereas Chartuni, sort of what jumps out at him uh, on his uh, resume is the, the steals rate and his um, you know, size as a point guard. I think what Moro, what jumps out for Moro is um, obviously the rebounding rate. Um, when he last played in college basketball in 2017, he uh, was 29th in the country in offensive rebounding percentage and top 200 in defensive rebounding percentage. Uh, he was also um, top 200 in blocks percentage. Um, so, I, and uh, I think that combined with the fact that he is a big physical guy um, and um, there's this aura of sort of veteran toughness um, that you're hearing a lot about him and sort of getting from him um, that I think a lot of people are thinking that not only will he be a fantastic rebounder for the team, um, but he could really improve them defensively, which um, I don't know. I'm not as... I'm not... I, having not seen him play much at all, um, I'm not totally like convinced that like, all right, Ed Morrow's here. We're good. We're better on the interior defensively. Do you have any thoughts about um, sort of what he brings to the roster? We haven't had an elite rebounder since. Yes. Actually, sneakily, Henry Ellinson was an elite rebounder. Mm-hmm. Um, so Marquette hasn't had a player like that since Henry Ellinson, and then before that, I mean, anecdotally. I loved Devontae Gardner and Chris O'Toole, but both of them rebounded worse than they should have just given their body composition. Yes. Um, so I don't think that he negatively impacts our defense. Um, he was pretty adamant about the fact that he didn't want to play as an undersized five yeah. for Tim Miles at Nebraska. Um, so that kind of really cuts down on where he'll be playing for Marquette. He'll yeah. be most definitely at the four. I I think that just given Marquette, you know, and we'll get into the center um, centers on this team in a little bit, but just given that the way that the um, uh, five position looks for Marquette, um, just having bodies at that position, um, and how I don't think anyone else on this roster, and you could maybe argue Joey Hauser sort of fits this mold, but you don't say like anyone definitively like that guy is best at the four 100%. Joey, like, I think Joey, if you had to, like, give him a position on the floor, he's a four. Um, but I also think he kind of contributes um, in a positionless kind of way. Yeah. Whereas Ed, you're like, okay, that guy, he's six seven, like about 240, um, rebounds the hell out of it, and um, is tough and supposedly plays good defense. Um, that's the type of player that Marquette didn't have on the roster and hasn't really had um, in a long time. So... I like, again, we talk about how flexible and deep this roster is. Ed is the kind of player that um, definitely brings some 
uh, unique skills that um, no one else has um, on this team. Yeah. Um, I think we talked enough about Jamal Kane in the guard section. Um, Brendan Bailey, um, we kind of talked about what kind of player he is. Um, I think that a really legitimate question that I have absolutely no idea what the answer to is, not having watched a whole lot of BYU basketball in my time, is how does a Mormon mission um, affect your basketball career and, and, your, and your ability? Uh, I, I remember I read an article um, that uh, Ben Steele uh, wrote for the Journal Sentinel this offseason about how Bailey was able to get in the gym and play basketball like every Monday. And I think Bailey on paper, um, and you know, if you look at Bailey, uh, he's a, uh, he looks like a great sort of collegiate wing. He's got the right kind of body for that. Um, but the question is, um, is it going to take him a while to get back up to speed? Um, and I think that if the answer to that could be very important for sort of the top end level of potential success for Marquette's team. Yeah, um, I mean... I'm of two minds for this. Really, on one hand, you have the fact that he's two years older than the other freshmen, so he's more physically yeah. mature. Um, yeah, I know, um, having been friends with some people who went on Mormon missions from high school, sure. um, I know that they're still obviously allowed to keep... Obviously, you couldn't play basketball at a high level every day, but right. you, know, you can still keep up a physical fitness routine. Sure. So I'm not worried about that, and I think... On the other hand, he has been playing top-level basketball for two years. Yeah. How good is he really going to look against an Indiana or, or a Kansas yeah. or a you know, Villanova? Um, something that I would say about Bailey, uh, two more things. Um, the first being, um, in the same way that every single game Marquette played with Todd Mayo, um, the announcer always pointed out that Todd Mayo um, was O.J. Mayo's little brother. Um, announcers are going to do that with Brennan Bailey, uh, talking about his dad, Thurl Bailey, yeah. um, who was on the national championship NC State, uh, Jimmy Valvano team, and then actually had a pretty solid uh, NBA career. Um, and I actually think it might even magnify more than sort of how that got annoying for OJ Mayo and Todd Mayo, um, because, uh, you know, college basketball announcers are in that sort of age bracket where like that's a really cool fact to them it's like they're like 40 and 50 and this guy played basketball and yeah. i did now his son's on the court it's wow. so amazing like wow what a what wow. a great yeah no it's gonna be it's gonna be really uh really annoying um and then um the other thing i wanted to say about brandon bailey and i don't know how uh, you know much i read into this um marquette played a secret scrimmage today against northwestern um we don't really know much about what happened. Um, there's not a lot of reports about it. Um, uh, there was a nice, a lot of nice, like, Wojo and Chris Collins hugging uh, photos. Um, that's to be expected. Um, there's this one shot, though, on the bench, um, and uh, the guys that are sitting down, so foreseeably the guys that are on the court at the time, and there's no, no real indication whether this is a photo of, um, you know, the starting five or whatever. The four guys that you can see in the picture sitting down um, are Sakar Annam, uh, Sam Hauser, uh, Ed Morrow, and Brendan Bailey. Um, just based on who's standing up, presumably the fifth guy sitting on sitting in the out of the picture is Marcus Howard. Um, so that's like a lineup where it, it might not be a starting lineup, but it feels like a starting lineup potentially. Uh, it could look like one, and it's interesting that Brendan Bailey is on the court in that instance. I, I I'm not trying to look into it and try to sort of make it a um, make it a, um, a a thing, but I would be very interested to see whether Brendan Bailey is given sort of a role that you would expect a 20 year old basketball player um, with uh, top talent um, to play. Um, even though he hasn't played college basketball for the first two years that he would have traditionally done so. Yeah, I think that um, it, there's been a lot of hype coming out of various media outlets. So um, my favorite person to troll on the internet, John Rothstein. Ah, uh, yes. Um, was Are you a really, John poster? I am a John poster. That's fantastic. Um, but, you know, you also have... People like Ben Steele really talking about how good Brendan Bailey has looked in practices, how naturally fitting in he is with this team. Mm -hmm. So, 
I mean, it's hard for us who, on, admittedly, I haven't been to any of the open practices. Sure. Um, yeah, I haven't either. It's hard for me to really buy into some of that right now mm-hmm. because I haven't seen him play in two years. And um, two years ago when he would have been a freshman traditionally, um, he was this tall, thin, yeah. lanky shooter. Um, and so, I mean, like, that fits really well into what Marquette has going on. But I don't know how he's going to fit in right now, sure. which means it's hard for me to predict if the hype is real or not. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to say it. Or if the um, hype is worth worth it or not. Right. Um, let's transition over to the big guys on the roster. Um, Matt Helt, obviously, is probably the most known entity. Um, Our milkman. Just yeah, God, I love Matt Helt. Um, just he's just such. It's so like fantastic. He's just the most earnest basketball player I think is what I would say he's like his talent has never been at a level that screams starting top uh, 25 collegiate center but he's just he just does all of the little things right and he appears to be just a really good guy uh, off the court yeah um, see I, he was in one of my philosophy classes yeah. um, my senior year and, and yeah I just like his and I, I think sort of maybe adding to the legend, although I think it's gotten buried a little bit, um, is um, that he appeared to break his foot by dropping a weight on it um, in the offseason about six weeks ago, which I find to be somewhat hilarious as long as it means that he's not going to be affected uh, as a player this season. Because that's pretty, pretty just... Adds to the mythology of Matt Helt, I guess. Um, one question I did want to ask um, in regards to Matt um, is, besides, is he elite? Which the answer is obviously yes. Um, is uh, is there a chance that Matt Helt's role sort of disappears um, because um, maybe some of the players, Theo John especially, behind him um, emerge? Do you think that there's a way that Matt Helt ends up playing like 10 minutes a game by Biggie's play? Only if Theo John makes leaps and bounds. Sure. Um, or only if we figure out really quick that our best lineup includes, like, one of the Housers is a small ball five. Sure. Like, that, that, those are the only two times where I – two scenarios I see Matt Helton minutes dropping significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, the, the talent has never, ever been, you know, a top 100 basketball mm-hmm. player. But yeah. um, his work ethic, is his effort on the court – and his consistency. I mean, he was somehow the biggest thorn in Angel Delgado's side right. whenever Marquette played CEO. Yeah, he, his games where he, like, like hulks up, basically, and is playing fantastic uh, interior defense. Yeah. It's not consistent enough to where you're like, all right, we put Matt in when we're playing a big center. Yeah. Um, but it was way better than where Theo John was at last season as a freshman. Fouling out, basically. Yeah, I mean, and again, we can transition into Theo John now. Who I've always said since I first... I really didn't ever see him in person until the exhibition game last year. And I've always since then compared him to an NFL tight end. Because he's, you know, he looks like a guy that if you wanted to... If he had legitimate football skills, he would be the perfect sort of body type for that role. Um, Marquette hasn't had a player that looks like him um, in a really long time. I was talking to Andy uh, earlier this week about... um, uh, a comparison because in the uh, speed of eighth year I've been around the program, um, I haven't seen a player on the roster with his body type. Um, Andy agreed with me that Dwight Burke was like a, a good comparison as far as body type goes. I think the hope is that Theo John's ceiling is a lot higher than that. Um, so I guess with Theo John, really what you have to say is what he was last season isn't good enough going forward to play legitimate minutes on a top 25 team. Um, but if he improves as his body type and just everything about him indicates, he should eventually become a starting center for this team as they sort of make the leap. Yeah, I mean, he's way more athletic than Matt Hell is. Yes. Um, well, and you're going to need him to defend the athletic center's that are in the Big East. You know, sure. again, Jesse Govan is the first one that comes to mind, but there's a couple uh, big guys from Creighton that mm-hmm. are definitely athletic. Um, you know, Xavier always managed to trot out some sort of good center every year. Um, so, yeah, I think that he 
his role is going to be very valuable. It's can he live up to that? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're going to need him for when Matt Health can't do the job. Right. Or they're going to need him when the center likes to run all over the court instead of just sit in the paint. Yeah. Um, and maybe the last player we talk about will be able to contribute there too. I guess he's he's probably the most unknown quantity yeah. we have. I don't know what to do with Ike. Ike. Is it Eke? I think it's Eke. I don't know what to do with him. Um, he, I'm gonna call him Ike because I yeah. want to hear that name said by Mike Jacobowski before I, uh, before I jump to conclusions. But um, it, that video of him breaking the, um, I guess it's the high jump record, but it's, it wasn't like a traditional high jump. It was like a running jump where he it wasn't like a standing jump. It was a running jump, but it was insane. Yeah. Um, especially because he's six nine, you know, two thirty, and like to see that kind of guy just barreling down his high school highlight reel has a lot of i was i did the preview um, that went up on the website this week and his high school highlight videos have a lot of just fast break dunks where he goes from looking like uh oh this guy's a you know a high school center to like oh my god this guy looks like an nba player when he dunks yeah um and so but I guess, like, the question about him is, like, we don't really know, like, what position he necessarily plays on this roster, because he looked like a center in high school, but I think it was just kind of a factor of, like, he didn't have basketball skills to score anywhere outside of, like, 10 feet and consistently. He does have a couple of jumpers in his highlight reel. Um, but, and he, like, you know, he was, he'd only been playing basketball for a couple of years, and he was just bigger than everyone else. So it's, like, I don't really know how he fits into the roster, but... If they can work that kind of ability and, and athleticism into the roster somehow, I can't imagine that it would hurt necessarily. Yeah, I think that I see him much in the same vein as Theo John yeah. right now, where they're just the athletic uh, alternatives to Matt Hill. Um, I mean, I think Ike has the most untapped potential, sure. probably, because he's only been playing basketball for a few years. I think yeah. we have in our notes a homeless starving man's Joel Embiid. Sure, yeah. Which, I mean, he's got that kind of, like, raw, um, uh, you know, talent. athleticism. Um, and flashes yeah. of raw talent. Yeah, and it honestly, I have no idea how he's actually going to fit into uh, any sort of rotation. But what I would say about that is um, when this roster when this roster is fully healthy having him as the 12th guy is like a, a massive upgrade from, again, anything we've ever seen in the yes. recent history of the program. So, so regardless of whether he contributes, I think, you know, just having that in reserve is fantastic. And again, um, redshirting has really proven to help Marquette players yeah. um, over, and I think, again, Todd Smith, the strength coach, has a lot to do with that. Because um, he seems to really put those guys through a lot. We are forgetting that um, I d- is coming off a back injury yes. that he's had to deal with. So I yep. don't know where that is. I mean, yeah. I'm assuming that we haven't heard anything well, negative. So. Here's here's my anecdotal analysis of that: is that that back injury happened in January, and that jumping video happened in August. So seems good, right? Yeah. I mean, like I don't know if he's like able to consistently, you know, carry a carry a. a college basketball minutes workload, but he at least was able to jump really high. So yeah. that, that seems like a good sign for his uh, um, uh, overall health. All right, so before we finish up, um, just go through a couple of questions here. Um, before we sort of get into sort of like a rapid fire, um, I just want to like generally, uh, you know, uh, hypothesize about the defense here. Um, so uh, Ken Palm rankings came out um, a little while ago. Um, for perspective, um, Marquette has ranked... Um. Oh, hold on. They're ninth in projected offense. Yeah, ninth ninth in projected offense and sixty sixth in projected defense, um, which is absurd to people that have worked at the program. It's absurdly high. It's very high. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it shouldn't it shouldn't be that high. Like it shouldn't be. We look at that um and say it's that high because that's you know about average for where you'd put a uh you know a. Quality yeah. collegiate team with defense, you'd expect them to be at least there. Um, but they've been 165th and 182nd the last two years. Um, and just for uh, uh, the adjusted number, um, in 2017 it was 104.2 um, adjusted points allowed per 100 possessions. In uh, 2018 it was 105.6. And Ken Palm's projection is 96.1. So that's a massive improvement. Um, that is like 
that is a huge improvement. Um, that's and yeah, so, a ten point, almost a ten point yeah. swing on defense alone. Yeah, and that's like that is buying into you know the Chartuni effect and the Moro effect and sort of just the roster overall looking better and and more defensive, but also more complete. There's a, a distinct lack of Andrew Rousey having to guard, yeah. guard a lead guard too. <sighs> oh man, he was. Mm. His defense just made me so angry at so much times. It wasn't really defense. I don't know if I would argue that Marcus Howard was never a bad defender. He's just tiny and had to play next to Andrew Rousey. So like now you can hide Marcus on their their easiest to guard player instead of oh no we have to let that be Rousey. So what do we do with Marcus? He actually has to defend somebody. Yeah, I think kind of what you're getting at there is that I don't think we think that Marcus is an instinctively bad defender. Andrew Rousey was an instinctively bad defender. He made terrible decisions. I mean, the most visible one that I will never forget was the Madison Square Garden first round of the Big East tournament against DePaul, where they played a close game that they shouldn't have been playing, and they basically should have lost it because Eli King got a wide-open look because Andrew Rousey didn't execute a switch correctly. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, my God, like, how do you do that? Um, but Marcus, I just think it's it's a it's a size thing with him. He's not a terrible defender for his size. It's just that his size gives him no ability to defend. Yeah. So quickly, do we think the defense um, will improve substantially, and do you think it'll improve to the degree that Ken Palm is projecting? I'm not sure I'm as high as Ken Palm is on yeah. it. I'm. I think the defense will just nat- naturally be better. Yeah. Um, I think that there's been a lot of times, especially um, in the last two years where Wojo was really just working with what he had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, we haven't seen Wojo coach an elite defense yet. Right. Yeah, this is, I think that's a big question. This will not be an elite defense. This will not no. be a Virginia. This will not be a, a, <laughs> a South Carolina. Sure. This will not be you know one of those teams. Right. Well, South Carolina's bad now, but the, yeah. the buzz saw you that we ran right. into them in the tournament. Yeah. You know, this, this will not be a defense that good. Um, but... I just want to offer this real quick. Um, uh, it, the website's called Bartovic.com. I think I brought it up last episode as well. Um, they uh, project... Um, uh, they do similar projections to what Ken Palm does. Um, and their projections for Marquette defensively are... It's similar offensively. Um, Ken Palm's number for Marquette is... It's nine. Is nine. It's 11 on, uh, on Bartovic. But the interesting... Um, uh, number the defense number is 117th in the country is where he's projecting and he's projecting it to get to 101 so that's an improvement from where it's been but it's a significantly more modest improvement yeah and, and I, I don't know like the sort of the math that goes into the adjusted numbers so it might not be an app totally apples to apples comparison but sure. i think that that's probably without having seen them play this roster play defensively I think that that's a, a jump that I'm more comfortable predicting yeah, than I think Ken Palm is. I think that Marquette will be inside the top 100 this year. I think 66 might be too high. I think that's fair. Um, I think really that's all Wojo needs is a top 100. Yeah, defense. and that's the thing. It's like yeah. as much as like we'd like to see Wojo start coaching defenses that are, you know, everyone like saw him when, when he, he jumps out. Like everyone, if you think about him as a player, it's just like he – was the slap the floor on defense guy. And you want to like imagine that he can coach a defense with the kind of intensity that he showed as yes. a player. Um, but again, with the way that the offense plays um, in sort of the high volume, always uh, chucking threes kind of way and in a really, um, with a lot of effective shooters, I, to be the kind of sort of back half top 25 team that I think a lot of us are expecting them to be, um, or hoping that they'll be. Um, you don't need the defensive number to improve a ton to get if the offensive number is hanging around where it's been the last couple of years. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that we don't need to see a top 40 defense sure. to be successful. Yeah. Um, I think you really just need to see a top 100 defense with no effect on the offense. Sure. All right. Um, just do a couple of rapid-fire ones uh, to wrap this up. Um any chance that someone other than Marcus Howard is the leading scorer, barring injury? Sam Hauser is the only probable competitor to Marcus, if I have yeah. to be honest, unless somebody just completely explodes. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where it could come from. I just think maybe um, maybe Sakar, yeah. maybe 
Jamal Kane may it just doesn't feel yeah but like I agree with I, 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 agree, I agree with that so I think the only true competition yeah. Marcus has is Sam Hauser and I actually think Marcus might have a better scoring season just because you take Rousey's um, shots and give it yeah, mainly you, to him yeah <laughs> the, it, those shots are going to mostly especially because of the type of shots they were those will mostly transfer over to him so you'd expect him to even probably have a better chance to uh, continue his high scoring output um, who do you think um, that didn't play for this team last season um, is going to have the biggest impact? Uh, Joseph Shortoni. Okay, that's an interesting point. We just need an, an elite. We we lost our elite yeah. perimeter defenders. Yeah. We needed an elite perimeter defender. He is an elite per- perimeter defender. Um, yeah, I think that the safest answer is probably Chartuni. Um, most likely, probably also Chartuni. Um, I think that potentially Joey Hauser. Um, or maybe Brendan Bailey um, sort of moving into, uh, if, if they sort of get ahead of schedule um, uh, in their development um, or adjustment to college basketball, they could potentially um, have that big of an impact. I think Ed Morrow is definitely going to have some sort of impact on their roster as well, but I just think given his skill set, it's probably more capped than a um, you know true two-way defensive and passing point guard like Chartuni. So I think yeah. that's probably the right answer. Um, who are we expecting uh, to improve the most um, from year to year? That's somebody that played last year on the team that we're expecting to improve the most. Well, mine was going to be Greg Elliott until he got hurt. Um, I, I, I think I agree with that. But I think we're going to continue to see the rise of Sakar. Okay. Um, I don't think Sakar will ever be an elite shooter, but you need some form of slasher. Yeah. Um, and he has all the physical tools and all of mm-hmm. the mindset to do it. Sure. Um, we saw it in flashes last year. Yeah. Um, seeing that be more consistent would be great. Um, and then just him mm-hmm. to continue to be um, a good defender. Um, I think he's a lot more vital cog in this machine than mm-hmm. people are giving him credit for. Um, I tend to think that that's a good answer. Um, and I also probably would have said Greg Elliott for the injury. Um, one I guess I want to, I would be hopeful of, would be Theo John. Yeah. Because I think that while Matt Helt is a great player to have on your team, um, the biggest upgrade would be is if your uh, backup young center is all of a sudden like a monstrous force, um, as opposed to Matt being sort of the steady Eddie um uh, high floor, low ceiling kind of player that he is. If Theo John were to sort of put put together a huge jump um, in in his uh, ability and sort of fitness to the college game, um, I think you could see a, that could be a hugely crucial improvement for them. Um, all right, sort of getting down here. Um, oh, sorry. No, you're good. Uh, one player on the team that. Um, is going to be squeezed out of the rotation. or And it doesn't have to be a player that was necessarily on the team ne- uh, last year. Um, and maybe instead of, don't say Ike Eke for this because, you know, we don't really know if he has a role in the team. But who's a player that you could see, like, not fitting into this rotation for whatever reason? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm in two minds here. Mm-hmm. Um, again, uh, I think that... The, the easiest one for me to say is probably Theo John. Sure. Um, obviously, if, and like I said, there's just so many people that can play mm. that spot. And if he's not better than everybody else for playing the five, like mm-hmm. I could see them going to a small ball five a lot. Yep. And then he just loses minutes because he's not contributing. Um, I think there's, you know, there's something to be said maybe about Joey Hauser too. Okay. Which is yeah. probably not the most popular take, but you look at how many people. Yep. Marquette has playing the positions, you know, yeah. positions he would be playing. Um, Sam's the more proven commodity. Um, you know, we, we, Jamal Kane's more athletic. Sakar's a better defender and more athletic. Um, you know, there's just a lot of factors that are working against him succeeding, and I think he will succeed. But um, especially if the ankle's not 100% better. Right. Um, and, you know, yeah, lower if, body injuries with yeah. big guys like that is problematic. And if Brendan Bailey is living up to the hype, I mean, you know, just the logical mm-hmm. conclusion is that Joey Hauser is the one that has to lose minutes from yeah. that. 
Um, another one I kind of want to throw out there in the same vein um, is Jamal Cain. Yeah, um, and I, I know, that was my other. Choice. I know you probably wouldn't nominate it, just given how uh, you think he'll probably contribute as sort of a fourth guard type. Um, but I think that if he doesn't um, make a comfortable transition to that, and you see a guy like Brendan Bailey or Joey Hauser, those two guys sort of um, bring this sort of positional versatility um, to sort of the two through four spots on the roster. I think potentially Jamal Kane could be a casualty of that. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. But I don't actually think that will happen. Um, I'm not as, um, you know, Jamal Kane needs to play the two as you are, but I think Jamal Kane, just the way he was last year, like scoring in flashes, playing really well in flashes, I think he will still find a way to uh, get some minutes um, and have a consistent role. Sure. Um, all right, and then last question I just wanted to run through would be, um, who do you see as this team's most valuable player when it's all said and done as far as who do you think it will be, not just like who could be, um, and sort of explain um, what that the concept of most valuable player in the context of Marquette's roster means sure. to you. So I said earlier that... Um, so I, I, my answer is Sam Hauser. Noted, okay. no, noted Sam Hauser fan, Sam Newberry. Yeah. Great first name, um, but... <laughs> I complex take there. I yeah. appreciate your your. But nuance. no, uh, like I said earlier, him and Joey are really they're on the offensive end. They make everybody around them better. They can distribute. They can score. They can post up. They can shoot. They can you know handle the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they make the offense click. Yeah. Um, you know, Marcus will put up the most points. Other players will put up points. Uh, you know, other players will be better defenders. But Sam is the most valuable piece of sure. the the team in terms of just how consistently good he is um and how valuable he is on the offensive side of the floor even if the ball's not in his hand yeah so um that like the most valuable player isn't always the person that scores a trillion points yeah. aka andrew rousey last mm-hmm. year um so i think that sam hauser my mvp is the type of person that makes everybody better sure makes the team click and that person on this roster is Sam Hauser. Yeah. And I kind of think that Sam is sort of the, you know, the woke answer to that question, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, I definitely pay and attention to Marquette basketball. Yeah, answer. yeah. And I think I could either go more woke or just be obvious about it. And I and I and and while I think, like, a guy like, you say, like, putting a Joseph Tartuni-type player into this roster or an Ed Morrow-type player into this roster is so much different and so much potentially more positive than without that kind of player. You could argue that that is sort of a valuable addition. But I think I'm just going to say Marcus Howard. And I just think that and I, while I totally agree with you, um, that sort of, you know, the most valuable player is not always the one that scores the most points. I think Marcus um, has this offensive ceiling where, I, and I know we saw it when he sort of took over that Providence game and in a way that they won that game when he scored 52 points and they needed legitimately every single one of his 52 points yes. to win it. I think that that kind of upside is something that without Rousey on the team this year, you're going to see him do more consistently just because he's going to have so many more chances. Um, he's going to be relied on. And I, I mean, I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that in the games against teams like Kansas, Kansas State, Wisconsin, uh, Louisville or Tennessee, whichever one comes out of that, Indiana, and then all of the juggernaut teams in the Big East, he's going to get hacked. He's going to get, they're going to try to be physical with him and move him off the ball. Um, But I just think the kind of upside he has as a scorer and his ability to score in different ways. And the one thing we don't even underrate is so as a freshman, he was this um, monstrous three-point shooter. Um, and then last year, he knew he needed to get better, so he spent all offseason working on the floater move that he added to his arsenal. So we don't even know, like, is there a new facet to his offensive game coming into this year that's potentially um, a game-changer for the team? So I'm going to go... Uh, yeah, uh, I'm usually a contrarian. I'm not going to go contrarian here. I'm just going to say Marcus Howard. Um, upside. I mean, he might score 25 points a game, which, yeah. like, I, you know, people watch the NBA, that doesn't sound like a lot. In college, that is a ton. Yeah. Like, there are you have not eight, many high major players that score 25 eight, points a eight game. Less, you have eight less minutes to yeah. do it. Um, You're more balanced. Yeah. It's less hero ball. Yeah. Not to go on an anti-NBA soapbox here, but um, I just think his upside is so incredible, and... Um, he's such an intelligent player with such a good um, sort of uh, uh, 
grounding in the game where he has this brother who's kind of a shooting coach um, that I'm sure was a big factor in him adding that facet with the floater that he added. Um, so I just think like we don't even know like if there's a new thing that Marcus can do and he's the kind of player that will obsess over getting better and I just think the, the sky's the limit for him. The ceiling is the roof, if yes. you will. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. I, I mean, I think that's a better place to end. Um, anything in particular you're looking for um, in an exhibition game uh, on uh, Tuesday? Uh, the only thing I want to see from this team is some semblance of organized defense. I can't sure. remember, I can't count the number of times last year I was screaming at my television, mm-hmm. you know, why are you hedging on that screen? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Um, and a lot of it was caused, at least in part, by Andrew Rousey yeah. being an awful on-ball defender. But, um, you know, I, I want to see an organization in the defense that we haven't really seen yet. Mm-hmm. We do have the better indif- individual defenders now. Um, I want to – hopefully the scheme is kept up. Um, and then, yeah, I think the only other thing is I want to see how Joey, uh, Ed, uh, yeah. Chartouni, uh, Brendan Bailey, I want to see how they start to fit in on this team. I think everybody else um, – they're known commodities insofar as that the Marquette fan base right. knows – what they're, each player is going to bring to the table. Um, and so seeing these new cogs and like a real competitive game instead of just yeah. open practices um, are really interesting to me. Yeah, and I, for me, it's I just want to... You touched on the you know the new guys, but I just want to see what the rotations look like. I, I mean, there's eight guys that could start for this team foreseeably like without any sort of argument or and, and I just don't know what's in Wojo's head with it so I just want to see what it looks like sure um and so that's what I'll be looking forward to and then you know to a certain extent I know it's not going to be the full experience but I just want to see what the forum looks like for a game man I'm like I'm really hyped for that um I think that since it's the forum it's first technically a Marquette game even though it's an exhibition I think probably more people will show up than would a traditional exhibition game, and I just want to see what that atmosphere looks like. And obviously, UMBC, it'll be a more realistic um, for the overall um, what to expect on a night nightly basis, but I'm just excited to see them start playing and playing in that amazing arena because that's a such a game-changer for them on so many levels. Yeah. All right, anything else, Sam? I think we're, no, I think yeah, we're I'm good, good here. All right, hey, thank you guys for listening again, um, and uh, tune in next week. Um, we're going to do a full uh, schedule breakdown and make our predictions uh, for the season um, before uh, the season opener against UMBC on election night. Let's not get into that, though. No, let's not. Please, God. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.